0: Good morning, it's fantastic to be here. Good morning, beloved people of God. Uh, I come from Canada. I I made the trip here from Toronto, Canada. Yeah, amen, that's right. I feel like that's getting trickier and trickier uh, to be when I'm in America. It used to just be like, we're those friendly neighbors to the north and now we're like, you know, tennis champions and NBA champions and I mean, but if anyone if anyone saw the championship acceptance piece, uh, speech that Bianca made when she overthrew Serena Williams, uh, literally she received the award and said, "I'm so sorry," <laughs> which I thought is the most Canadian uh, thing to do when you win a championship. So again, I, I'm I'm sorry too. Uh, but there are sort of epic events in our lives, aren't there? there? There are epic events where you're just like, this is too good to be true. Like I, when the, when the Raptors, the Toronto Raptors won the NBA championship, so that was one of those events for Toronto, the whole city. And me and my husband, uh, we couldn't get to the game because that was like a gazillion and a half dollars to get a ticket. But we were like watching the game live. And then there was five minutes left and we're like, we could win this one. So my husband's like, I got to go get the boys. So he went upstairs and woke up our boys at like 11.30 at night just to have them come down and watch this final game as we won the championship because we were both like, you may never see this again. (laughs) It's one of those moments, right? Have you ever had those kind of moments? I was uh, with my son, uh, Judah, my middle son, and we were on a I was speaking somewhere, we rented a car, and I just rented like on Hotwire, you know, 25 bucks a day, it was a decent rate, and uh, we got to the lot, and he was wearing like a little Stormtrooper hat, he was, had, like, he was looking all really cute, and so the, the lady that ran the lot, she just said to him, why don't you just pick out any car you want, honey, you know, just kind of being kind, and he looked around, and he saw a car that he liked, and it happened to be a white convertible Mustang, and, uh, and so she's like, oh, ho, ho, that's a nice pick. You know, like, and he doesn't even know anything about cars. He just said to me, I really like the color. Yeah. So anyway, we're in this Mustang convertible. As even, it's cold outside, but it's one of those moments where you're like, hello, we're in a Mustang convertible. So like we put the top down, just blasted the heat, and we like put his favorite tunes on, and we like pull into like a driveway, and we, we stop, and he turns the music off, and he looks at me and goes, Mom, do you ever have like those dreams in the day? And I said, yeah, like a daydream, like where you think. And he goes, yeah, a daydream. He said, this is better than that. <laughs> <laughs> and those are like those moments that we have, like things in our lives, like a championship moment or mountaintop moment or even those like even small moments where you're just like, this is Better than a dream, right? Like, this is happening right now. Like, pinch me. This is a real thing. And I want to take a look at one of those moments in the scriptures, in the life of Jesus and the disciples, in Luke chapter nine. And uh, there's a lot to learn, a lot to mine in this story about what it means to follow Jesus and who Jesus really is. Luke chapter nine, and starting at verse 28, it reads like this About eight days later, Jesus took Peter, John, and James up on a mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was transformed, and his clothes became dazzling white, and suddenly two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared and began talking with Jesus. They were glorious to see, and they were speaking about his exodus from this world, which was about to be fulfilled in Jerusalem. So. Let me unpack this for you, this momentous occasion. This is one of those NBA champions type of a moment. You know, This is one of those once-in-a-lifetime sort of events. The the believers, the Israelites, would have known uh, that they were expecting somebody to come, a Messiah to come. But up until this point in Jesus' life, the disciples that are following him are still not quite sure who Jesus is. They know that he's a prophet. They know that he has power. They know that he heals people. They know that he's like a good man, that he teaches with clarity and sort of with power, but they're not entirely sure that he's the one they've been expecting. And this would have been a clue because this uh, Jesus on Mount of Transfiguration as what I affectionately describe as the first human glowworm in history, right? This he, He's on fire, like he's like alive, like he's glowing and, and his clothes become a dazzling white and this kind of Shekinah glory is happening. What, what's happening is actually a picture painted that the prophet Daniel painted uh, and and he prophesied that the one, the Son of Man that was going to come, this one, the Son of Man, right from heaven, he prophesied what he would look like. And there are all these sort of hints in this scripture on the Mount of Transfiguration, this white, glowing white, glowing light, full of revelation and power. This is the Son of Man, the one that they were expecting. So that's part of what's happening here. If you flip forward in your Bible in Revelation, you'll know that the final image of Jesus is also like this. So Jesus is kind of pulling back away window of what he really is, who he really is. He is the son of man. He is the Messiah. He is God with flesh on. He is divine. He is the light of the world. He is hope. He is all of the things. He is freedom. So that itself is super exciting, but what is even more crazy about this story is it's not just this revelation of the Son of Man, it's not just Jesus kind of pulling back the window on this, like, who he is, the divine nature of Christ, but it's also Moses and Elijah are with him, and that's so weird because Moses has been dead for some time, right? I mean, he's dead, like, he's been dead for, like, thousands of years at this point, There's a couple of things that's interesting about Moses. One, he's dead and now he's not on the Mount of Transfiguration. It's some kind of like Jedi thing, I guess, you know, where they all kind of assemble on the top of the Mount of Transfiguration. But, But also, like Jesus and Moses begin to have a conversation with each other. And how cool is that? And what they're discussing is even crazier. They're discussing the exodus, the scripture says, that is to come. What? They're discussing together, Moses and Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration are having a discussion about the Exodus. Now, Luke, he uses the word Exodus on purpose because when I say the word Exodus, if you went to Sunday school or you know the stories of the Bible or even if you just watch epic Hollywood movies, you'll know the Exodus happened already thousands and thousands of years ago that Moses led the Exodus. It's the second book of the Bible and it is about this mass Exodus of God's people from and from oppression and the Exodus I mean it's epic it's filled with all of these epic things and you just think what and at the end of the story actually in Exodus Moses doesn't get to go to the promised land there's this kind of weird moment in Moses's life which people still haven't quite figured out because it feels a little bit well mean Moses leads this whole entire thing and then he does one thing wrong and God's like yeah That's not gonna work out, and then Moses dies, and then they go into the Promised Land. So the whole time, if you read that story, you're kind of left hanging, going like, oh, that doesn't seem fair. But then like God's like, hang on, guys. It's not, the story's not done yet, right? There's still a whole other arc of the story to come, and this is one of those arcs where Moses finds himself right smack in the middle of the Promised Land, by the way, with Jesus talking about the Exodus which is to come, which is so weird because I thought the exodus had already happened. And it it reminds me so much of the first time I ever got bumped up to first class on an airplane, okay? I, I didn't know how to behave. I'm not from first class, so it was literally like a bump. (laughs) Might have been even a scoot up to first class. And I remember I was so hungry. I'd been volunteering on this mission, and I I was, like, super hungry. And I got on the flight, and they they brought me my meal, and I was, like, nuts. They serve rich people food, you know. You know, rich people food, it's just really high in quality but really low in quantity, right? And so it was, like, smoked salmon and capers. It was really nice. Like, it was fantastic quality food, but there were just, like, little pieces of tiny smoked salmon. And I was, like... Like, I could eat a horse, like, I need a meal. So anyway, I ate everything on the plate, including the lettuce that the salmon was presented on. And then I saw there were some buns, you know, so I was like, well, okay, there's buns. So then I ate all the buns, and then the flight attendant came and said to me, so you're done? Which I can only assume was a rhetorical question, because clearly everything was finished. And she said, so she took my plate and she said, so you're ready for the main course? And I was like, "Ah, oh, it was an appetizer. That's a thing I forgot so and this is I feel like Moses might have felt the exact same way, like, oh, that exodus, like that thing that." has epic, you know, story all over it, that thing that God did that was sort of so crazy and so radical and so cool where he freed people from oppression, where he set people free. That thing, that second book of the Bible, that thing that Moses led that's been the thing for generations is only an appetizer for what Jesus wants to do now and here for the whole entire world. Not just one people liberated from a tyrant, but everybody liberated from tyrants, every single person on the planet, every human trafficking victim, every woman stuck in Bangladesh picking cotton, every single person stuck in addiction and depression and cycles of violence and fear, every single person is meant to be free, and that's what Jesus wants to do. And Jesus is talking to Moses about the appetizer, but then the main course that he's about to do through his death and resurrection on the cross, Jesus is gonna make a way out of Egypt for everyone, even Egypt. He's gonna make a way where there is no way. That's what they're talking about on the Mount of Transfiguration. And and then there's Elijah. And Elijah is like the fiery prophet, remember? I was gonna say they were both dead for thousands of years, but that's not right. Elijah didn't die. He actually went up to the heaven in a fiery chariot. I call Elijah the biblical Doctor Who. (laughs) Who? I mean, I I don't know what other planets he went to. I'm sure many of them need the prophetic word, you know, from a fiery prophet, but off he went on some sort of adventure, some sort of cosmic thing, and then here he is back again after thousands of years on the Mount of Transfiguration, filled with this fiery thing. You know, there's a prophecy that said the spirit of Elijah had to come when the Messiah was going to come, and here Elijah is. So you can imagine, can you not? If you were a disciple, a Jewish boy, you had been raised to expect that when the Son of Man comes, when the Messiah comes, you have these prophecies from Daniel. You have this like Moses, this like father of your faith, the person that set it all up, all of the structures and systems, all of the ways that you eat, all of the ways that you interact with people. This is the guy, the founder of your faith. He's there. And Elijah, the fiery prophet who hasn't been spotted for thousands of years, God knows where he's been in the cosmos, is back. And Jesus is going, Glowing, like, I mean, the first glowing man in history, here he is. You can imagine, can't you, how incredible this would be, which is what makes this next verse of Scripture fascinating. Verse 32 says this, Peter and the others had fallen asleep. What? <laughs> Peter and the others had fallen asleep. Is that crazy to you? Or it's like, they're sleeping, guys. Like the most important kind of cosmic divine event is happening. Jesus is revealing things to them that for generations they've wanted to know. Here it is on display and they've fallen asleep. Is it just me? Or do you also think the disciples might suffer from narcolepsy? Right? I mean, this happens to them regularly. It's not even just a one-off. You remember by the end of Jesus' whole ministry when he's at the Garden of Gethsemane and he's just going to like wrestle it out with his own will, trying to get to a posture of surrender and it's going to take a lot. He's going to sweat drops of blood. Do you remember he turns to the disciples and he says, do you think you might be able to stay awake and pray with me for an hour or so? <laughs> and Could they? If you read the scriptures, when Jesus comes out of that garden, he finds the disciples sleeping again. The disciples have fallen asleep. This is the greatest temptation for every disciple. And if I'm honest with you, it's a temptation for me as well. That there are moments where God wants to show, every moment, every day is a day where God wants to show us these incredible things. Things that our minds can't even conceive. Things that are beyond what we could even imagine. Plans that he has to bring freedom to the entire earth. And I find myself missing it because I'm sleeping. Early on in my ministry, I had a dream, uh, more like a nightmare that kept recurring and keeping me awake night after night after night. I dreamt that I went through a doorway and the doorway had a spider web in it that I didn't see. And when I walked through the doorway, I felt it. Ooh, don't you hate that? It makes me give, gives me the ooh, ew, the spider web you didn't see. And in the bottom of the web was a big, fat, hairy spider that I also didn't see that kind of bit me as I went into the, the room. And when I walked into the room, I immediately got so tired. I got fatigued, and I thought, I really need to just lie down. And then a bed appeared. Ta-da! And I laid down on the bed, and I, 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 as soon as I, I laid down, My entire body became paralyzed. I couldn't move. My mind was still awake, but my body was paralyzed. And then from all four corners of the room came thousands of little spiders, and they consumed my body one bite at a time. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So I did what you would have done. If that happened to you I rebuked that dream to the pit of hell from whence it came because we all know that spiders are from the devil (laughs) also we know I don't it's not in the Bible but I did see a movie one time that said if you die while you're sleeping it's really bad news right so I also knew that's not good and so I just rebuked the dream I just said get back to hell from whence you came. Like, get off of me. Like, get out of here. But this dream just kept coming back, and it kept coming back. So then I resorted to, like, really great theological things. Like, I would put my Bible under my pillow, you know, because that's going to work. And, like, I anointed my, you know, bed with oil, not even just, like, Crisco, but, like, olive, you know, just, like, legit, you know, holy land, I don't know, whatever it is. Like, maybe I should have used coconut oil. That's the remedy for everything I hear. So, you know, and I just... It still this dream kept coming back and it kept coming back. And so then I resorted to my private prayer list. You know people in your lives that have these kind of like kind of crazy ways of praying, and you're not really like super close in public, but you have these people on the side, you know, that they have like a ram's horn somewhere and like you know, they might speak in a few different crazy languages or like have visions and dreams and, or like uh, wave a lot of flags or something like that. But I, so I've, resor- I've called those guys up because they were the heavyweight prayers. And I was like, I need somebody with some like heavy weight to help me combat this assault on me, this demonic conspiracy to consume me <laughs> with spiders, you know? And so they came to my house and they did this, they anointed things and flagged things and blew a ram's horn and like whatever had to be done, had to be done. I was like, just get it done. And uh, they went back, and, and again, the, that came again the night. It came again, and I, just, I phoned them again. I said, guys, like, come back and bring your A-game. Like, I need some help. Like, w- this needs, like, something needs to happen. Yeah, so they came back again, and we're all sitting in a circle in my living room. We're praying about this dream, and uh, one of them says to me, Danielle, have you considered asking God for an interpretation of the dream? And I remember thinking, like, uh, no, because I'm not basic. Like, I die by spider bite. Like, it's definitely demonic. It can't be from God. You know what I'm saying? Like, what's, what? And they said, I just really feel like God is trying to talk to you. Like, maybe ask him what he's trying to tell you. So I said, okay. Uh, God <laughs> is there an interpretation for this dream literally as soon as I got the prayer out of my mouth I had an interpretation of the dream I felt like God said to me right away just like I it all made sense instantly I felt like God wa- was warning me he said you've walked through a doorway of cultural sleepiness it's a, it's a it's an enemy it's a cultural enemy that bites you with spiritual sleepiness and what it does is it puts you to sleep spiritually It doesn't put you to sleep in other ways. You're working more than you've ever worked before. You're, you know, you've got all, it seems like you've got a lot of hours to fill in watching Netflix specials. Like you've got lots of time to do many, many things, more time than ever before. It's just prayer you can't ever get to. It's just the things that God's asking you to do. It's the hanging out with Jesus. It's the obedience piece. It's the paying attention to what it is that God's asking. That's the stuff that you're too tired for. And and I felt like God warned me. He said, if you succumb, if you give in to the sleepy spiritual culture, you will be consumed but you won't go out in like a blaze of glory. You won't like go out staring down the the giant of Goliath saying, you know, you come at me with javelin and spear, but I come at you in the name of the most high of the angel armies of heaven. You know, None of that will be in your story. You're just gonna be consumed by tiny little things that don't even matter. And I said, I don't wanna die that way. I don't want to die a thousand spider bites little tiny things the color of our walls or what we're wearing or who's hipper or who's cooler or what worship style I like best or who yeah, I I don't want to go out that way. And I asked the Lord, "What do I do?" And God said this to me, "Wake yourself up. Wake yourself up, up. And I have never been more convinced in my whole entire life that there are epic things Jesus is trying to teach us. Jesus is trying to show us who he is right now in ways that we can't even imagine. Jesus is trying to talk to us about the exodus that he has planned for the whole world. Jesus is trying to convince us that there's something going on that we get to be invited to, something otherworldly, something better than those that have gone before, something that even supersedes Elijah's best guess on the future something epic for our own lives, for our own communities, and for the world in which we live. And our temptation, our greatest temptation, is not to oppose it. It's just to sleep through it. It's time. It's time to wake ourselves up. And here's the good news of the scripture. I feel like the tension's a little high. I'm sorry. The good news of the te- This is the good news. They've fallen asleep, but listen, when they woke up, can somebody just say, when not if, okay, not if, when, and let today be the day, let today be the time, let now be the time that wakes us up. When they woke up, they saw Jesus's glory and the two men standing with them, and as Moses and Elijah were starting to leave, Peter, not even knowing what he was saying, blurted out, Master, it's wonderful for us to be here. Let's make three shelters as memorials, One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But even as he was saying this, a cloud overshadowed them, and terror gripped them as the cloud covered them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice finished, Jesus was there alone. My best guess at this situation is that Moses represents the past, And Elijah represents the future. Moses represents the past in its epicness for sure, but also in its systems, in its structures, in its values, in sort of how you're supposed to operate as a follower of God. The Pharisees would have said, we're disciples of Moses. They used to challenge Jesus a fair bit. That's not what Moses said. That's not what Moses did. That's not what Moses thinks. Jesus is constantly trying to reveal to the Pharisees, to the disciples, even right here, this is no longer about Moses. We don't have to look to the past to define the present anymore because we have somebody in the present present with us. His name is Jesus. The past is what Moses is about, and I don't know how your past trips you up, but I think the past is a great way to stay stuck. To stay in a place, even the good past, but even our hang-ups, even our, our, our things that we got wrong, even things that people said about us, cycles, family history, a church history, the things that used to be our glory days, sometimes they're the things that keep us the most stuck from the present day. Uh, The other thing, Elijah, represents the future. Now, when Dietrich Bonhoeffer was doing the Confessing Church in Germany, trying in defiance of the Nazi uh, regime, trying to raise up real Christians who followed Jesus, who would not pledge allegiance to Nazism, he used to say in these underground uh, seminaries he would build, he, he, he wrote a book called Life Together, and he used to say the greatest enemy to authentic Christian community is the idea of a perfect Christian community. The greatest enemy to an authentic present experience is the idea of a perfect one. In other words, sometimes it's our future, our should, what it should like, look like that keeps us stuck. We keep thinking to ourselves, I meet people all the time. I'm going to do what Jesus tells me to do just as soon as I pay off my mortgage, just as soon as I sort out my marriage, just as soon as I feel like my kids are, just as soon as I find a husband or a wife, just as soon as these things, as soon as that promotion's done, as soon as that happens, as soon as my church gets itself sorted out, as soon as there becomes an opening in the right, on and on and on this goes. We become paralyzed by a perfect future. What happens in the story is so profound because Peter's longing, like all of us, is to stay in, in that place, just stay in that place where the past is something that's there and the future is something that's there, and we'll just add Jesus to it. It's perfect, but Jesus says that's not how it works. Jesus is the I am that I am. He is always present tense, by the way, Jesus In order to make Jesus primary, to listen to Jesus, to follow Jesus, what has to happen is a letting go of the past and a letting go of the future, something that you cannot control, and a paying attention to the here and the now and the present tense of Jesus. You know how they catch monkeys in South America? I bet you're longing to. it's not complicated. Monkey hunters in South America, they just take a coconut, they they drill a little hole in a coconut, just big enough for a monkey's hand to go through. They fill that coconut with sweet rice, which apparently monkeys love. They tie the coconut to the the branch of a tree and monkeys just find it. They're just like, "Mm, sweet rice, I smell sugar, you know, and they just They hop over and they stick their hand in there and they grab a hold of the sweet rice and then they can't get their hand out of the monkey. And they'll make lots of noise and they'll make a big fuss, but they will not release their hand from the sweet rice. Monkey hunters, easiest job in the world, they just go around with a big net, they untie the coconut, they take the coconut with the monkey stuck in it, boop, in the net, and that's how you catch a monkey in South America. It's also how you catch a monkey spiritually. See, that illustration works so well when it's sin. That's the easiest thing to do. You know, if you're going to stick your hand in the sweet rice of sin, you're going to stick your hand in abuse or toxic relationships or addiction or substance or a, a, a pornography or all those kind of things, it's going to trap you. You're going to, kind of tra- you're going to have to let that go. That's true. We get that. I think we get that. If you don't get that, that's the secret, by the way, letting go of those things that would trap you up. But what if the sweet rice isn't bad? What if it's just tradition? What if it's just what your parents think? What if it's just what your grandparents thought or did? What if it's just how things have already done and how they've always been done? Or what if the sweet rice is this future that's coming that's perfect as soon as you get it? I remember my mom telling me, Danielle, if ever you find the perfect church, don't join it. You'll ruin it instantly. <laughs> but what if it's that holdout, you know, for that perfect church? person, that perfect thing, that perfect job, the perfect conditions that's never coming. What Jesus invites people to do who have woken up to who he is and what he wants to share is to let go of the past and to let go of some coming perfect future and to follow him for today, for right now, for what it is that he wants us to do. Jesus leads those disciples, by the way, off the top of a mountain. And the top of a mountain in their history is profound. For both Moses and Elijah, they would have experienced their power and their fame and their influence came from mountaintop experiences. But as the disciples let them go, they followed Jesus. Jesus. And Jesus led them down a mountain into a valley. If you keep reading the scripture, you'll see right where he led them. He led them to one child stuck in a pattern of behavior that he needed to get free from. He began the exodus one person at a time, not on mountaintops, but in valleys, in every community that we live, in every home we come from, in every relationship that we have capacity for. This is the work of Christ. But we cannot get it done if we're refusing to let go. And if we're still sleeping, it's time to wake up. Let me pray with you. God, we are so grateful that you are who you say you are. We're so grateful that you are the Messiah. You are the son of man. You are light and hope and life and truth that you made a way where there was no way for us. We're so thankful, Jesus, open our eyes afresh. Help us to understand who you really are. I pray right now that by your Holy Spirit, you would wake us up, that we would be able to shake off the spiritual sleepiness that is in our lives and in our culture, that you would help us to choose to wake up even today to who you are and what you're doing. I pray for my friends and myself as we think about this passage of Scripture. I pray right now that you would help us identify what we need to let go of things from our past, things that have happened to us, things that we've done, good things, but that are in the way of present things. I pray you'd help us let us go of these woods and shoulds that keep us paralyzed and stuck and that you would help us to hear you, to see you, to follow you into the world's biggest exodus. Freedom for all people everywhere. Even as I'm praying, I just take a couple minutes here. You maybe have stumbled into the meeting, to the service today, and you're just thinking, I I, I don't even really fully know who Jesus is. And um, I wanna invite you to wake up spiritually, to allow the Spirit of God to stir on the inside of you something waking you up. (laughs) Pain maybe in your life or love. Those are the two waking agents in Scripture, pain and love waking us up so you can meet Jesus, so you can let go of your past and let go of your potential future and just today right now is the right time to know who Jesus is. If that's you, this is a beautiful day. I'm glad you're here. So God, do your work in your way. We love you. And all God's people said, amen.